0: You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Today's
1: Bible reading uh, is in three passages. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21, and then continuing on um, from chapter 10, verses 11 to 14, uh, and verses 18 to 21. So starting from Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it uh, will eat its fruits. Chapter 10, verse 11. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offences. On the lips of him who has understanding, wisdom is found, but a rod is for the back of him who lacks sense. The wise lay up knowledge, but the mouth of the fool brings ruin near. Verse 18, The one who conceals hatred has lying lips, and whoever utters slander is a fool. When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver, the heart of the wicked is of little worth. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of sense. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Thank you, Jane. Well, I love words. I love long words. In fact, one of my favourite words is the word sesquipedalian, which appropriately enough means writing that's characterised by long words. Uh, but on equal opportunity, I also love short words. So one of my favourite words is the word apt. To me, it feels like one of those little Tetris pieces that can just fit in anywhere, and it actually perfectly suits the word itself. Whenever something is apt, we know that it fits the spot. I love obscure words. I'm the kind of guy who loves it when there's on Facebook, there's some list of uh, funny words from the 19th century or something like this, uh, like diddle, which basically means someone foolish or worthless. Uh, in Scotland, if, you was, if someone froze under pressure, they would be called, called an edel doddle. Uh, and the word shiviness was used to describe an uncomfortable set of underwear. Perhaps my favourite thing, though, is collective nouns. I'm not talking about the boring ones here, like a flock of sheep. I'm talking about the really interesting ones, which always seem to be about birds. So you can have a murder of crows. Uh, you can have a mob of emus. And my favourite, you can have a parliament of owls. I think it's just great. Uh, In fact, I love coming up with collective nouns, you know, so like a a, a tattoo of baristas perhaps Uh, or uh, all the Nelsons have glasses so you could call us a nerd of Nelsons perhaps or a goof of Nelsons, whatever it is. I I actually spend my life around words. Uh, Every sermon's about 6,000 words so that takes a while to write them and when I've got my time off I read words. I just read books all day pretty much in the car. I listen to words in a, a podcast or an audio book. And of course, I say lots of words as well. And actually, probably lots of us live our lives around words. All day long, you're using uh, Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, you're reading and writing things all the time, or you're you're reading and writing emails. Uh, Our newspapers don't just come out once a day. they're, They're written to us multiple times throughout the day, and we're consuming that. So we're surrounded and submerged in words. And so the book of Proverbs has a lot to say to us because it has a lot to say about words. We're in the second week of our series in the book of Proverbs. And as we saw last week, the, the whole setup of this book is the choice between wisdom and folly. A choice that plays out in every aspect of our lives with our relationships, with the way we think about our wealth, our work, and our words. In fact, the book of Proverbs says that words are a crucial barometer of who we are, of our hearts, of, of whether or not we are wise or foolish. So Proverbs 15 says, The tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouths of fools pour out folly. Whereas the writer Eric Lane puts it, Our words give us away. They are what we are. And so they have immense power. Proverbs 18 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. You know, words can be sweet. Like honeycomb, it says gracious words are like a honeycomb in Proverbs 16. Sweetness to the soul and health to the body. It can do these wonderful things for people. But of course, if we think about it, very often words destroy people. We all know the line, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me and names will never hurt me. We all were told this when we were kids, weren't we? If someone's teasing you, you need to tell them that this doesn't affect you. And it's a nice idea, but it's a wishful one, isn't it? We were told that proverb because we wanted it to be true, but in fact it wasn't true. We know that words have the power to hurt and destroy. Think of the words of a parent who might tell their child that they're a no-hoper or that they're difficult or that they're incompetent or they're disappointing or they're fat, whatever it is. That is going to stay with that child. That is going to define them. Or think of words that you've said in the heat of the moment. You're caught up in anxiety or anger or bitterness or frustration and you've said something that has stuck with that person. It took a moment to say it, but it might take years to unwind it, to take it back. Proverbs 12 says that rash words are like sword thrusts, like they pierce into someone's heart. They go right to the very core of a person. As one writer says, sticks and stones can only break our bones, but words can be soul-destroying. When I was at school, one of my best friends was a guy called Darren. He was a great kid, confident, mischievous, well-liked. He wasn't the most popular kid in the class, but everyone liked him. We'd been friends since grade one. we have been best friends for much of that time. But I remember in year seven, we were playing outside one day in the courtyard, we were playing down ball, and I'd noticed this thing about him, that when he'd play, he'd get really into the game and he starts sort of twitching and gets so worked up, and there'd be these mannerisms. And so I was watching this, and I came up with a stupid nickname for him. I won't tell you the nickname because I'm too ashamed of it. It was just a joke, but it caught on. And within a few minutes, the whole group was chanting this name at my friend. I felt terrible, but horribly, that was only the beginning. You see, this stupid name that I came up with, became his nickname all through high school. And I watched as this confident, smart-aleck kid became increasingly withdrawn and uncertain. My words weren't the only part of that, but it was a significant part, and I felt so terrible afterwards. My words helped to destroy him. A gentle tongue, Proverbs says, is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. And so words have the power to destroy. And tonight I want to focus on two ways in which they can do that. I want to focus on lies and on gossip. Let's first of all think about lies. This is not a good moment for truth. This is the age of spin, of alternative facts, of fake news, of outrageous conspiracy theories it's the age of confirmation bias where you believe someone only if they're on your side. And so when a politician speaks, you believe them if you're, they're on your side, but you don't believe them if you're on, they're on the other side. Whenever someone opens their mouth, an army of fact-checkers goes into place, goes into action, and then an army of other fact-checkers checks the fact-checkers. This is a time where there's no trust and it's very difficult for us to believe things. Truth is... Uh, vulnerable. And God hates this. We're told in Proverbs 6 that there are six things that the Lord hates, and one of them is a lying tongue. It says elsewhere, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. And you can see why, because they destroy other people, they destroy the liar themselves, and they even have the power to destroy the culture. First of all, lies can destroy others. There's a lot in Proverbs about false witnesses, people whose words destroy someone else. You can think in a in a legal court, a man who bears false witness against his neighbor is like a war club or a sword or a sharp arrow. That's what it says in Proverbs 25. You, you see that the language there, this is violence through words. I'm sure you can think of examples. Think of a school teacher perhaps, uh falsely accused of inappropriate behavior or an uh, an employer Unjustly accused of bullying. Of course, a true accusation is absolutely important and must be listened to. But a false one can be devastating. But it's not just in legal courts; it's in the court of opinion. Think of slander when someone uh, is a, a, an untruth about a person is attached to them, and that becomes the thing that defines them. Have you ever had that experience where you you get to know someone and you're surprised by? how much you like them. And you're surprised because before you'd met them, you'd been told that they weren't much. You'd been told some juicy thing about them that made them unattractive to you. And then when you actually got to know them, you realised that that wasn't true. You realised that they had just been slandered, but that had defined that person for you. Now think of the times where you might have done that for others, where you might have painted a picture of someone else that poison the waters for them. The writer John Bloom uh, defines slander as whenever someone says something untrue about someone else that results in damaging that person's reputation. He goes on to say in Proverbs 22, it says a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches and favour is better than silver or gold and he explains a good name is who we are in the minds of others. And so it's a very precious asset. Your reputation is this precious thing. And so whenever we handle a person's name, who they are in the minds of others, we are stewarding a treasure that belongs to them. And so he says, if we damage a person's reputation unjustly, we're stealing their good name. We are vandalising their character. Vandalising their character. But lies don't just destroy others, they ultimately destroy the liar, either immediately or down the track. Proverbs 19, a false witness will not go unpunished and he who breathes out lies will not escape. Think of Ravi Zacharias. I found one of his books the other day. I just threw it out because I can't read it and I don't want anyone else to read it because his legacy is gone. It turned out he lived a lie And that was exposed. Truthful lips endure forever, Proverbs 12, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. Perhaps that's an extreme example, but let let us bring it closer to home. Ask yourself, are you a person of integrity? Do people trust what you say? We've noticed over the last six months or so that one of our sons has begun sometimes telling us lies. Uh, maybe we've given him a clear instruction, a clear rule, and he's, he's broken that, and he denies it. And sometimes we've, we've known that he's actually done it, and so we're asking him, has he done it? Because we want to see if he will confess it. We're giving him every opportunity to own up, and he'll still lie. And this is very troubling for a parent. Not so much because he's doing the wrong thing. No, no, no. The real problem is that he's lying about that. You see, that breaks down trust. We try to tell him, look, it doesn't matter so much what you've done. Your The trust that we put in you, that is so valuable. You don't want to lose that. And so now if, if we ask him about something else and he truthfully says, no, I haven't done that, it's still hard for us to believe it. We want to believe it, but we're not sure that we can. Trust is something that can be lost in a moment and take years to restore. So liars can destroy others, but they can also destroy the liar, ourselves. And I think they can even destroy a culture. Uh, Proverbs 11 says, by the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted, but by the mouth of the wicked, it is overthrown. Words can overthrow a culture. They can corrode trust or subvert reality. I think one of the most obvious examples of this, the most troubling examples at the moment, is transgenderism. See, transgenderism is ultimately a lie. It's not actually possible to change your gender. Sex is a biological reality. We are male and female, right down to our DNA. Dr Paula Johnson, pioneer in women's health research, says today we know that every cell has a sex. And what it means is that men and women are different down to the cellular and molecular levels. It means that we're different across all of our organs, from our brains to our hearts, our lungs or our joints. We're male or female. That's the reality. But we live in a moment now where our culture says, no, that you can change that. It's fluid. But this is built on a foundation of faulty logic, dodgy pseudoscience, and then bullying social pressure. But it has a profound impact. It has a profound impact on the culture around us. And so uh, vulnerable women uh, housed in prisons alongside biological males, they feel incredibly uncomfortable with that. We have biological males winning female contests in sport, colonising the feminine experience. But even more than that, it can affect the individual in profound and horrific ways. Sinead Watson uh, experienced gender dysphoria she was convinced that she was supposed to be a man, so she underwent gender reassignment surgery in her early 20s. But four years later, she detransitioned, deciding to live as a female once more because she realised it was all a sham. She writes, I couldn't accept myself until my body was right. But here's the thing they don't tell you, that male body you so wish you had, you'll never have it, ever. Ever. You tell yourself, oh, look, I'm not literally male, but if I can just pass as a man, that will be good enough, and it is for a while until it's not. But, she says, you cannot live a lie for the rest of your life, not happily anyway. So even after pumping myself full of cross-sex hormones and having my breasts amputated, I still wasn't happy because I wasn't male and I knew it because I can't be because we can't change sex. Now, I understand that we're in a culture where we're told that we must affirm this and it might feel loving to us to do that. But actually, it's not loving because lies are destructive. They destroy the culture and they can destroy the person themselves. So lies can destroy, but so can the truth if used unlovingly. I'm speaking here about gossip. You might define that as speaking the truth in order to hurt someone else. Speaking the truth in order to hurt someone else. Sometimes it's made up, but often it's truth that doesn't have to be said, or it's said for the wrong reasons. Tim Keller says gossip is negative information that may or may not be true, designed to make the speaker and the hearer feel superior to the object of the gossip. It's there to make you feel better than someone else. Sometimes it might be a secret. Someone confides something in you and then you pass that on to other people. Proverbs 11, whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy in spirit keeps a thing covered. I read a quote the other day. Love is giving someone the power to destroy you but trusting them not to. And so how horrific if someone entrusts us with a secret, entrusts something personal and significant in their life and then we destroy them with it. But it's not just secrets. Keller goes on to say that gossip can really be defined as speaking against someone else, saying something that undermines the listener's respect and love for the person you're speaking about. When you think about it like that, you realise just how often we do that. How quick we are to complain about the boss with our colleagues. How easy it is to mock someone else. How often we expose the wrongdoing of others and share some story to just make them look stupid or harsh or incompetent. Proverbs 10, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offences. And so, before you say something about someone else, it's worth asking yourself, would I want to, would I want someone to say this about me? Would I want to know that people were saying these kinds of things about me? You know, Jesus said, do to others as you'd had them do to you. Here is a really practical way in which we can apply this. Would we want someone else to say this about me? This is not to say that there aren't times where we can critique or uh, criticise someone even, but it's important to notice how we do that. We need to do that with the right attitude. So Keller says proper evaluation is gentle, it's guarded, it's well-meant, and always reveals the speaker's belief that they share the frailty, humanity, and sinful nature of the one being critiqued. See, ultimately it's done with the desire to help the person and a willingness to invest in that. So here's another simple rule. If you find yourself talking about someone, then it's probably time for you to talk to that person. You see, we're all flawed. We all need help. We all need people to speak into our lives and to show our blind spots. But a wise and a loving person does this carefully and lovingly. They don't see a flaw as something to capitalise on, to exploit. No, they see it as something that they can help you with. So if you find yourself talking about someone else, it's high time you spoke to them in love. But it's not even just the words we say. We also have a responsibility when we hear gossip. See, gossip is all around us. It's what sells the magazines at the supermarket. Every website has a clickbait story about some celebrity designed to poison your view of that person, to see them as stupid or whatever. Gossip's in the classroom, it's in the office, it's at the footy club. And whenever it comes to us, we have a decision to make. Will we hold it in or will we pass it on? Proverbs describes gossip as like fire. A worthless man plots evil and his speech is like a scorching fire. Like it, it's burning things up. It's burning up relationships. It's burning up trust and noble things. It's burning all of these things up. But for lack of wood, the fire goes out. And when there's no whisper, a quarreling ceases. What, what a picture. It's burning and burning like a scorching fire. But if you stop it, if you stop the fuel, then it will burn out. Keller says that we need to quarantine gossip, and what a great picture that is. Think about what we did with COVID. If COVID came into your house, you quarantined it. You didn't go out. You didn't spread it with other people. So it's the same with gossip. When it comes to us, we quarantine it. We keep it there. I've got to say, as I've been thinking about this sermon and this topic over the last couple of weeks, I felt profoundly, uh, it's been very convicting to realize just how often I sin with my words and how this kind of sin spreads all over the place. And more than that, it actually shows the nature of evil within our hearts. Take gossip. See, gossip clearly hurts other people, but we love gossip. Sometimes you use the phrase, oh, have you got any juicy gossip for me? We call it juicy because it tastes good. We enjoy the taste of it and we're like sucking on the gossip. Proverbs 18 says the words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. We're like vultures picking over the carcass of someone's reputation, reveling in their shame. That's really horrible. But then the proverb goes on to say uh, the words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. So it actually goes down into us like poison. Just like lies destroy the liar, so gossip destroys the gossip. It makes us proud, makes us scornful, self-righteous, unyielding, dismissive, harsh. Really, our words reveal our heart. And it's not pretty. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver. The heart of the wicked is of little worth. And Jesus said that it reveals our hearts. He said, how can you speak good when you are evil? He said to the Pharisees. The good person, Jesus said, out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Every time we open our mouth, we're revealing our hearts. Whether there's love within that or whether we're just there to destroy other people. And God says, Jesus says, that we will actually be judged for this. Matthew 12, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak, for your, by your words you will be justified and by your words you will be condemned. So this is really serious. So what do we do about it though? Well, Jesus is telling us that if we want to change, we need our hearts to change. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so if we need change to come to the heart, so that our mouths change. And thankfully, there is hope for that if we listen to the words of God. See, God declares hope and grace and forgiveness to anyone who will listen to him. I've been I thinking about how hard it is to use our words well and then I was thinking about Jesus' life and how well he uses his words. Like you see all through the Gospels, just the extraordinary wisdom that Jesus had and the kindness in his words. People are desperate to come to him and they're desperate for healing, how loving he is towards them, how much he, he wants to care for them and forgive them. And he wants to do the same for us. So he came to fulfil the words of God, to fulfil the promises of God. God had promised that he would send a savior who would take on our sin and deal with it. For us to be justified, to be counted right by God, he had to be condemned. For us to have our, to be freed from our sins, Jesus had to take them on for himself. And that's what he did on the cross. He paid for our sins. He dealt with it. And he did that by staying silent. He's on the cross being taunted and everyone's uh, saying horrible things to him and he could have called down fire and brimstone on everyone but he didn't. 1 Peter 2, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He didn't respond in kind because he had come to save and he knew that his death was the only way that that could happen. And so he stayed silent till it was done. There's two things that Jesus says on the cross that sum it up. There's his final words on the cross. It is finished. That's what Jesus is saying to anyone who will trust him. It is finished. No matter what we've done, no matter what we've said, Jesus will forgive it because he has dealt with it. And there's another thing that he says. Just think of what he says to the thief on the cross. Today you'll be with me in paradise. Here is a guy who would have spent his life sinning with his mouth, but in that moment he declares his faith in Jesus and Jesus offers him a hand of forgiveness. That's what God is offering us as well. Romans 10 says, The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. If you will believe what God has said about Jesus, then you can be forgiven. And more than that, you can be changed. See, Jesus promised that he would send the Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, to live inside us. So God's words don't just go to our heart. God starts to take residence in our heart. So then the Spirit's life starts to work through us and in us and he gives us new words, life-giving words. We start to bring words to bless others. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. That's what Jesus is saying to us, and now he's extending the opportunity for us to do the same for others, to use our words to bless others. We saw that the, the words can be like a sword thrust. Proverbs also says that the tongue of the wise brings healing. Our words can bring healing to other people. When there's a moment of tension or anger, some people will escalate the problem, but a soft answer turns away wrath. We can become peacemakers with our words. And the person who speaks wisely will open up opportunities for themselves. He who loves purity of heart, whose speech is gracious, will have the king as his friend. Just think of Joseph in the Old Testament, who's given opportunity to serve in Pharaoh's court. Or think of Billy Graham, who had uh, audiences with 12 successive US presidents. Some say he even led, led uh, Lyndon Johnson to Christ. Here is a man whose wise speech gave him opportunities. We can have opportunities to spread life and goodness in the world. Our words can bring life. The mouth of the righteous, Proverbs 10 says, is a fountain of life. That's something that we want to have, right? So how do we have that? Well, as the Spirit works within us, he starts to help us respond to him, and he starts leading us in certain ways. And I think the first thing he does is he helps us to start to listen. As I've been reflecting on the topic of speaking, I've realised just how much Proverbs says about listening. It's not so much about what we say, but about listening to other people. And this is very foreign in our culture. Like Our culture is all about Saying what you think, uh, sprouting your opinion on social media or whatever. I remember a couple of years ago talking to my friend Guy Mason and saying, Oh, I just don't understand it. Like, everyone just wants to have a go and they're just talking and talking and talking. And then he politely pointed out, Well, Luke, you have 40 minutes every Sunday, so you can't complain. Like, we all want to speak. We all want to say what we have on our minds, right? But when we speak often, we reveal. Our foolishness. Proverbs 10: When words are many, transgression is not lacking. But whoever restrains his lips is prudent. And so, first of all, we need to start listening. If we want to speak well, we need to start listening. And the first thing we need to do is to listen to what God has to say about us. See, I reckon a lot of our uh, evil words come from insecurity, and actually, the way that we wield words to create ourselves. Uh, You can imagine life as like this big competition. It's like a ladder and we all want to get to the top and we're all competing against each other to do that. And our words, we use our words to either take us higher up the ladder or to take other people further down. So when we're boasting, when we're bragging, we're trying to get up higher and when we're putting someone else down, we're trying to get them further below us. That's what we're engaged in constantly But the gospel can set us free from that. See, in Christ, we have the ultimate affirmation. We are loved and affirmed by God himself. We're at the top of the ladder, not because of anything that we have done, but by his grace. And if that truly comes into our heart, if we truly grasp that, we don't need to use our words to assert ourselves or to compete with other people. We can use our words to bless other people and to lift them up, just as God has done. To us. So first we listen to God, and then we start listening more to other people. See, often when we're listening, we're just listening to speak, we're just waiting for the moment where we get to say our bit. But the loving, wise person is constantly trying to listen deeply to understand the other person. But also in listening, they can avoid trouble. Whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. First of all, you can uh, keep yourself from conflict. Proverbs 18, a fool's lips walk into a fight and his mouth invites a beating. Such a great proverb. Some people just say stuff that just starts a fight, that gets people off uh, off, uh, against them. But a wise person knows how to hold back. Whoever restrains his words has knowledge and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. They understand that, Words spoken in the heat of the moment are unlikely to be wise. They understand that if someone's riled up, this is probably not the best time, to. they're probably not going to welcome your insights in that moment. So when an argument starts with a friend or a spouse or someone cuts you off in the car park at Aldi, you have a choice between escalation or de-escalation. And the wise person chooses the latter. Now, I'm not saying there's no time for conflict, but a wise person will choose the right time for that conflict. So a wise person avoids uh, inflaming a situation, and they also, as they listen, they give themselves space to understand the situation and to speak wisely into it. See, often we're so quick to speak that we kind of corral ourselves in an awkward situation. Uh, Often in pastoral ministry, someone will come to me and say, I've got this problem with this other person and here's all the things that they've done and I'm listening to that and I think, wow, that's terrible. I'm just going to go and confront that person. And then I go and talk to that other person and they say, oh, yeah, but you don't know the full story. There's all of this other stuff. And I'm like, oh, that's so true. But now I've kind of corralled myself into a situation. The wise person will always seek to see the full picture, As my friend says, there's three sides to every story. If one one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. See, when we jump in, we give bad advice. We can be too harsh or we can be too affirming and we lock ourselves into positions. So it pays to be cautious, to listen before we speak. The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, Proverbs 15. And then also, if we are listening, then we keep ourselves from saying things that we will later regret. By the mouth of a fool comes a rod for his back, but the lips of the wise will preserve them. Like how often have you made a commitment to someone else in the heat of the moment and then you've come to regret it later? You've kind of locked yourself into some promise that you now have to keep. Or how often? I often see people, they'll be upset about something and they'll fire off an email It felt good in the moment to send that email, I'm sure, but it's actually complicated everything. It's going to be taking much longer to sort this out. It may even cut certain things off for them. A fool's mouth is his ruin and his lips are a snare to his soul. And so we actually need to guard our lips, Proverbs 13, whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. I mean, we use that phrase, don't we? Oh, sorry, it just slipped out. Well, the wise person guards the mouth so it doesn't slip out. And then finally, if we want to speak words of life, then I think we need to decide to do that. You see, I actually think we don't speak words of life more often for lots of reasons. We we might be too cautious, perhaps we're too embarrassed. It's countercultural in Australian society to be too uh, effusive in our praises. But more than that, I think it's actually because we're too competitive. At the end of the day, we don't want to give someone else a free kick, a leg up in this great competition. But it's so crazy because how good does it feel when you do encourage them? When you say something and they just say, oh, that just made my day. Like, what a great thing. Wouldn't we do want to do that more and more? Wouldn't it be lovely to just make everyone's day to speak love, to speak life into people? That's what Jesus did. And we can do it too. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. So how about we choose to bring life? Let's pray. Father God, uh, you speak to us in your word and we see the power of words. You spoke and the world began. You have the power to create with your words. Lord, you spoke to us as humans and gave us guidance and direction. So often though we have failed to follow it and we're sorry for that. Lord, we can see that our words often bring destruction. And so we're sorry, Lord, for the ways we're dishonest or we're gossips. We use our words to elevate ourselves, to brag, to boast, or to tear others down. There are real people behind this who are hurt by our words, people that you created and you loved. And so we're sorry for that. Lord, you are listening to everything we're saying and you will judge that. But you are also listening to us if we call out for forgiveness, if we confess and turn to you and put our trust in Jesus. And so that's what we do. Lord, we ask that you will forgive us because of what Jesus has done. And we declare that Jesus is strong enough and good enough and perfect enough that he spoke only what was wise and good and he speaks forgiveness over our life as well. For all those who are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. And so we entrust ourselves to you. And we ask, Lord, that as your spirit comes into our lives, that we might speak words of life to others, that you will start to generate something beautiful and good within us. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. so out of the abundance of your grace, may our mouths speak your words of love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast.